Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. We are discussing A Shadow in the Ember by Jennifer L. Armentrout. It is a prequel to the From Blood and Ash series. So uh, a little bit of a warning. We will probably curse when we talk about Tavius and we'll probably talk a little bit about sex. So monitor yourself appropriately. Also, disclaimer, we're doing our the best we can with these names. There's not a pronunciation guide. I don't know when the T is silent <laughs> for some of these. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Hey, and if you're an author and you're listening to this, if you write books with funky names, please, please, please put a pronunciation guide in it. We love stuff like that. Your readers appreciate saying the names correctly. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So I will get started on our characters and Marissa will do our plot this week. So we have Serafina. She is our main female lead. She goes by Sarah. She is the daughter of deceased King Lamont Muriel and should be the next in line for the crown. However, she is the first female of that bloodline and she was born in a shroud due to a deal about 200 years ago. She's also a chosen and the maiden. So she's destined to become the primal of death's consort. She has a gift that allows her to tell if someone is alive or dead. And if they are recently dead, she can bring them back to life. We have Ash slash Nikos. He is our main male lead and Sarah's love interest. He is the primal of death and was supposed to take Sarah as his consort, but rejected her. He is one of the most powerful primals, but is not very popular among them. However, he is popular among his people and offers sanctuary to any who seek it. Uh, we also see that in how he treats his guards, who are also gods. Um, they are Ector, Sion, Rain, Theon, Eos, Bell maybe, B-E-L-E, and Layla. So all of them choose to be his guards or his helpers. They help him out because they respect him and are loyal to him. We have Collis. He is the primal of life. We also have Sir Holland. He's Sarah's guard and trainer. He's been with her almost her whole life. He's taught her how to use many weapons and defend herself. Uh, he's been one of the few supportive people in her life. We have Queen Calife. Sarah's mother. She's awful to Sarah. She does not treat her like a daughter. She ignores her and is even cruel to her at times. She also does not want anyone to know that Sarah even exists, so she just pretends that she's her handmaiden. We have King Arnold. He's the current king of Lasagna. Lasagna. What is we just want to call it lasagna. I want to call it lasagna so badly. Lasagna. Lasagna. He is the current king of Lasania. He is Sarah's stepfather. He actually isn't as bad as her mother or even her stepbrother, um, but he doesn't treat her like family. Next, we have Tavius, Sarah's stepbrother. He's even worse than her mother. He physically abuses her, although she is often able to best him. He hates her because she is the rightful heir to the throne. He is sadistic and evil. Next, we have Princess Esmera or she goes by Ezra. She's Sarah's stepsister, and she actually has a decent relationship with her. Um, she's supportive 
So another person in Sarah's corner. We have three gods, uh, Tarek, Mattis, and Cressa. They have been killing humans and seem to be experimenting on them. We also have some Draken in this book. We have Nectus, maybe, if the T is pronounced. Um, and he is the father of Reaver and Jadis, who goes by Jade. They, all the Draken are bonded Oh, wow, all the Draken are bonded to Nikos. Uh, so that means when he's in danger or hurt, they'll know and we'll help him. There are two locations. So the main country, Lasania, uh, that's her home country. And she's technically the um, heir. And Shadowlands, which is Nikos's home and kind of like the afterlife, it's a city, there are mortals there. It is also dangerous. Okay. Marissa, would you like to do the plot? You betcha. Great. Okay. So, A Shadow in the Ember begins with our main character, Sarah, being prepared to be offered to the Primal of Death to fulfill an arrangement that her ancestor made with the Primal many years ago when the lands were dying. In fulfilling this arrangement, Sarah will stop the rot, which is the slow progression of decay to the farmlands and extreme weather changes that are affecting her country. Sarah has been prepared her whole life for this. She must make the primal fall in love with her because that's the only way to kill a primal and will end the curse on their land. The time comes for the primal to take her as consort, but when he arrives, he states so that only Sarah can hear that he needs no consort. He rejects her and leaves and Sarah is blamed by her family for the primal abandoning her, their people, and leaving their country to succumb to the destruction of the rot. Cut to three years later. In the time since she was rejected by the primal of death, Sarah has been the recipient of scorn and rejection by most people in her life except her, except her stepsister Ezra and the guard who has trained her, Holland. In the last three years, Sarah has been trained to wield a number of weapons and defend herself because she was in training to become a consort for most of her life. The only people who know that she's actually a princess of Lasagna are her immediate family. Everyone else thinks that she's just one of the queen's handmaidens. And so she mostly leads a life of anonymity and serves to do her mother's dirty work, uh, taking out people who piss off the queen. And so that's where our story find us, finds us three years later with Sarah out murdering the Lord of the Vadina Isles after he rejects their offer to become allies and murdered one of Lasagna's ambassadors. So after dispensing with the Lord, Sarah winds her way through town, planning to head to a local pleasure house when she stumbles upon three gods who are questioning and then murder two civilians and a baby. Sarah is about to rush out to help or to attack the gods, knowing her odds aren't great when she is restrained by a mystery man who questions her sanity and sense of self-preservation. She tries to escape him, but he bests her and explains that he was also there to investigate the gods. And that's when Sarah realizes that the man that's been restraining her is also a god. This is a big deal. You're supposed to venerate gods. They're real temperamental. They get pissed off very easily. And Sarah has just tried to kick and elbow this guy as well as insulting him. And so she's worried. 
but he seems charmed by her. They share a kiss when the three gods pass by and Sarah and her God need to blend in. And then they separate and mystery man asks Sarah to just leave things be. And she doesn't obviously. Sarah continues to train and she fights with her brother, stepbrother Tavius, who is a dirt bag. Uh, she has a fight with her mother when she learns that she is having another gorgeous dress made for the upcoming rite. And Sarah is frustrated because she feels that the money that's going to be spent to entertain visiting royals should be used to feed the people of Lasagna, especially those whose farmlands are being destroyed by the rot. She has another run-in with Mystery Godman when she's out one night and she notices the same smell of death and feeling that she had when the two civilians were murdered. She investigates it and discovers that her mother, seamstress, has also been killed by the same god. Mystery man, or mystery god, also takes her by surprise because he was in the house investigating, and then they're both caught off guard when the body of the dead seamstress seems to reanimate, grows fangs, and attacks them. They kill the seamstress monster, and she is dead, dead, super dead now. Uh, but neither of them understands how she came to be back to life in the first place. Mystery God and Sarah part, and he warns her to be more careful. She doesn't listen, obviously. Uh, Sarah's stepsister is involved in humanitarian efforts in their country, and so she helps to rescue children from abusive situations with her best friend. She pleads with Sarah to help rescue a child from an abusive father, and Sarah does. After she heads into the woods to find her lake, a place where she goes for peace, and on the way, she encounters a dying wolf. Now, Sarah has a closely guarded secret. She is able to restore life to things that are dying or dead, but has always been discouraged from using this power. She pities the wolf, though, so she brings it back to life, and then she makes her way to her lake where she undresses and enters it, but quickly realizes that she isn't alone. Who should turn up but the mystery godman that she keeps running into? Sarah is indignant. This is her lake, after all, and so she demands that he leaves, and he pushes back because he was there first, but he concedes. He gets out of the lake and Sarah tries real hard not to stare as he does, but mercy, he is super hot y'all. And he is covered in tattoos and she just gazes a little bit too long. And so they get a little flirty and he reveals that his name is Ash, but then they're attacked by a group of germs, which are kind of like zombies. And they successfully dispatch the zombies, but then Sarah slips and hits her head. And she wakes to find Ash tending to her. And they share an intimate moment by the lake before he leaves. The rot worsens. And when Sarah discovers that a farming family who she has befriended has chosen to poison themselves rather than wait for starvation to take them, she is heartbroken and infuriated. She confronts, confronts her stepfather, the king, about resources for the starving. And after leaving his office is attacked by people who've been paid to kill her. She successfully defends herself and kills her attackers, but it leaves her shaken. She believes that her stepbrother paid them to kill her. Familial relations continue to deteriorate, and she wakes one morning after suffering from a migraine, which she has periodically, to discover Tavius drunk in her room being a creep. He announces that she's going to regret all the things she said to him because her stepfather is dead and Tavius is now king. 
She vows that she will never recognize him as king, which is treason and exactly what he was waiting for. So he has her restrained by his guards, drags her to an upper room in the castle and straps her to a statue of Colas, the primal of life, where he declares that he is going to whip the attitude out of her. He gets a couple of strikes in before the ground splits open and out walks Nikos, the primal of death, who is also Ash, the mystery god that Sarah keeps running into, and he is pissed. He destroys the guards who restrain Sarah, and he goes to kill Tavius, but Sarah claims his death, and it is delightful and vicious. But Sarah's also super pissed about the fact that the guy that she's been interacting with is the same person that rejected her three years ago. And as a result has made her life pretty awful. And he didn't bother to tell her who he was. Now that Nikos has claimed her though, she must go with him to this, to his realm. And she experiences this weird paradigm shift because she really didn't want to be forced to be with someone years ago and she was being trained to become a consort and also she kind of likes ash and she doesn't really want to kill him but also she feels like it's her duty to save her people and kill him so that the rot will stop so the feelings are mixed and weird Sarah goes with Nikos to his realm in the Shadowlands. His realm is called Hades, where she is horrified to discover crucified bodies of gods that are hanging from the walls surrounding his city and doesn't really leave a good first impression of her new home. And so Sarah starts to question everything about the person that she's been spending time with. They arrive at the castle, which is very sparsely occupied. And Sarah meets Aos, who she thinks is a servant to Nikos, but soon learns that they're actually like friends and that everyone that serves Nikos has chosen to serve him and no one is forced, which is different. And so Sarah is shown to her quarters and Nikos is real sweet. He helps her wash the blood out of her hair. He puts staff on the places where she was whipped and she wakes up the next day feeling better, ready to do something and quickly gets bored when she discovers that she can't actually go anywhere or do anything. And so she confronts Nikos about it. And he gives her some restrictions for places that she can and can't go, but the rules still chafe. A seamstress comes to fit her for clothes because all the things she has are things that are borrowed from other people. And she learns that the seamstress was one of the people chosen by a god during the rite, which is a big ceremony in the mortal world, uh, to be ascended. And so Sarah is super interested, but the seamstress is visibly uncomfortable with Sarah's questions. And so she asks Nikos about it. And she learns that what they've been told about the right is actually a lie. No one has been descended for a long time because Colas, the primal of life, actually used to be the primal of death. And Nikos's father was actually the primal of life. That Colas usurped his position, killed Nikos's mother, and then later his father. And so Colas does have some power, but his ability to create life has faded with time. And so no one new can be ascended. And the people who are chosen for the right are basically just played with by the primals until they get bored and are used as servants. And sometimes they're killed, or if they get lucky, they escape. And Nikos's realm serves as a safe haven to people who manage to escape from the primals that have chosen them, but they're still in danger of being taken by the primals should they come visit Nikos in his realm and recognize the person. And the seamstress happens to be someone who escaped from Colas. 
And so Sarah starts to settle into a bit of a routine in Nikos's castle. She becomes jealous when a beautiful female primal comes to visit Nikos. And so she wanders out into the redwoods where she is almost killed and Nikos has to save her. And then she also learns of the disappearance of a woman named Jenna, Gemma, who is one of these people who were chosen in the right and has sought refuge in Nikos's realm. Gemma's body is found and she is on the brink of death. And Sarah feels compelled to help her. And so she uses her ability to return her to life, which sends out a palpable energy wave, which is a big deal. Nikos realizes that the ability to restore, to restore life and the energy wave will draw Colas to his realm. And so he begins preparing his realm for attack. He also discovers Sarah's original plan, which was to make him fall in love with her so she could kill him. That's not really her plan anymore, but he's still really betrayed by the fact that this was ever a plan in the first place. So what will happen? Will Colas come? Will we survive the attack? Will Sarah actually try to kill Nikos? Will they resolve their issues? How messy are things going to get? And what does Sarah's ability actually mean? A billion spoilers, folks. A billion. So many. Keep listening if you're down for spoilers or um, don't. If you're not, come back after you've read the book. So this book. Woo. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack in this book. It's like 700 pages long. Yes, it is. It's fantastic. Um, so I have now read it twice. Um, and it's good both times. <laughs> I'm still just on the one read. I mean, it's only been a week. Um, I'm tempted to read it again though. And then what I wanted to do, so this is this book is part of the same world as the From Blood and Ash series. It just takes place many, many moons in the past, an ambiguous amount of time in the past. We're not really given a timeline here, but way, way, way before the events of from blood and ash uh, but in especially the crown of gilded bones we start reading these names like nikos and the consort and we get introduced to the draken uh specifically reaver is mentioned in the most recent recent from blood and ash book and so there are all of these things and words that i was like well i've seen this before i recognize this name i feel like we talked about this which maybe you want to go back and reread the From Blood and Ash books, especially the most recent one, because there are things I forgot and I was struggling to make some connections with like, okay, is this prophecy the thing that we're talking about? And you know what I mean? Yes, I also wanted to go back and reread um, at least Crown of Gilded Bones. Mm -hmm. um, that was the most recent one, right? Yeah. Crown yeah. Of yeah. Um, and reread that, but I did not but I should, yeah, especially after reading this a second time. And there's like stuff that I caught because I, I, I guess I took it more slowly because um, yeah. I was so excited. I think the first time around, because <laughs> I missed the first time I read it. I missed the way her dad died. I didn't realize he committed, well, questionable suicide. It might yeah. not have actually, you know, been a suicide, but I missed that it's the first time around. Suicide as far as we know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Um, I feel like we're going to have to do a reread of Crown of Gilded Bones anyway, because the War of Two Queens will come out in March. Yes, March 22nd, I believe. So we'll have to read it then anyway. But I want to do it now. But the TBR list is so long. Oh my gosh, so long. I need I need to be a full-time reader. I wish that I could get paid to just read. <laughs> and to read the things that I want, not, other, yeah. not things that other people want me to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I like immediately got Hades Persephone vibes from this story because the prologue starts with Sarah being prepared to meet the primal of death, which primal of death automatically makes me think Hades. Mm -hmm. Now the Persephone vibe would be a little different because she was stolen and not forced to interact like Sarah is. Sarah's being forced. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's a bit different, but immediately I was like, oh, this is like Hades. Well, so that's interesting now because I didn't get Hades Persephone with Sarah and Nico, Nico, shoot, Nikos, Nikos, sorry. Um, I got it with Colas and um, Sotoria. 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 I got a little bit of like Orpheus Eurydice vibes there um, because he keeps, and I know it's different. I know that. Eurydice is cool with going back with Orpheus to the living world and Satoria throws herself off of a cliff to get away from Colas. But he keeps trying, we learn that later in the book too. He keeps trying to bring her soul back, bring her soul back, bring her soul back. And then she comes back and it's not the same. I, I don't know. It's just, so I can see both. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Cola's at the time that he falls in love with her, she's picking flowers in a field, right? Like frolicking. Yeah. And he's the primal of death at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's much more Hades and Persephone in my mind and yeah. um, how I see it. But then it does. It turns into, um, I can see how you would make the correlation with Orpheus. Yeah. That's yeah. Or, and then I thought... So we learned later on in the book that Colas became the primal of life. He stole the primal of death or he, yeah, he stole Nikos's father's job so that he could bring Satoria back to life. And that reminded me a lot of Zeus. Uh, this is some Zeus shit because Zeus's ego would be the thing that drove him to chase someone, even if they had thrown themselves off of a cliff to escape him. <laughs> Yes, actually. So when I did like before I got to the whole story about um, about her, like in my head, he was Zeus, but probably because he was the primal of life, you know, and he was like the head god. My first like I placed him as Zeus in my brain, like in terms of the, uh, I guess, hierarchy of gods or primals. He's a primal. Um, So I can see that. Um, so I noticed on my reread that she's actually mentioned a lot more um, than I thought. Like she's mentioned on page 21 in the prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah's like, for some reason, all of a sudden I thought of this story. And then she's mentioned like again by Sir Holland mm-hmm. and mentioned a couple times just when she's like hanging out in Shadowlands. 
And then finally, we've got at the end where we find out she is her. She's been reincarnated. Y'all, Vicky hates reincarnation (laughs) stories. Vicky will straight up, we were reading this one series. It was the, well, I don't know if this is what prompted you to stop reading that book by, um, oh shoot, and now I can't even remember the Angels books. Oh, Lexi Foss's books? No. Oh, um, the Archangel series. Yes, Nali Singh. Nalini Singh. Yeah. Nalini Singh. Maybe, that's maybe that, but there's a reincarnation story in that one. Y'all, Vicky was so pissed. She was like, I hate this whole book. I hated the whole <laughs> thing. And then didn't, I don't, you read, did you read the fourth one or was that one? No, that stopped? was the last book yeah. that I read. She bought like 13 books <laughs> and stopped on book three because she was so pissed about it being a reincarnation story. <laughs> So when I was reading this and I got to the part, it's like near the end. It's near the end. We find out that Sarah is the reincarnated Satoria. And my note in my Kindle was like, I bet Vicky was so pissed when she got to this. <laughs> She's invested so much into the book by that point. It's like page 650 and you find out and it's like, oh man. <laughs> oh, you were right. I was displeased. <laughs> why uh, why do you hate reincarnation stories so much I just I don't um appreciate them I think hold on I did put a little bit of an explanation down here because you asked it nothing too oh okay so I don't really like the idea of like if this was me like being someone else and not knowing and then it's like takes away choice too and I always wonder oh well what would what happened to me in my past lives I I don't like it. I feel like it takes away choice, especially when it comes to like a relationship. And then also I'd always be comparing myself to the original one. Mm-hmm. It's just a very unappealing, unappealing story. But me. I mean, it's not like, so it's not like her other partner has be, been reincarnated either, you know, mm-hmm. um, And it's not like Nikos would have ever known Satoria in the past. So there's not like something for him to compare. Right. That's why I'm a little bit more accepting of it in this. Does that soften it a little bit? It does. It does soften it because it does. Um, Also, you know, I, I like this world. I like Jennifer Armentrout. So, you know, fine. Although, so there are a few things. So about my, I'm wondering these, this reincarnation, right? So there's a part where Sarah mentions where she's at the cliff of sorrow where she like she feels scared and like her stomach lurches and stuff and so I know like it's a high up but I also wonder because she's so fearless right this is one of her whole things is that she doesn't really fear um if that's some sort of like memory in the back of her like head you know her subconscious and then also what's gonna happen when um Colas finds out is he gonna try to take her you think 100 percent. he's right? already trying to take her that's why well, he yeah, sent yeah. and madison what's cressa to the place because he's already trying to take her he doesn't realize yet that he's she's the reincarnate and i wonder so i wonder if he'll realize immediately that she's the reincarnated satoria or like if it's gonna take some time it makes me wonder if she looks like her like, is there yeah. a physical appearance? Like, how is he going to know? Because he's going to know. There's no way he's not going to know. He's going to find out. 
Mm-hmm. I just wonder what it's going to be. That's going to make him be like, Oh, this is you. Hey, I've been trying for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm interested to see how that develops. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be very interesting. Yeah. And then finally, my last thought about her reincarnation, because I don't like thinking about it too much. Um, <laughs> you are so extra. <laughs> I know, right? So she's super unafraid of death, right? Mm-hmm. Like Nikos brings it up all the time. You know, he says, why do you run eagerly toward death? Why do you not care for your life? She almost dies several times. You know, why isn't she upset about it? At the end, when we find out all those big reveals, she says it's not fair to him. And he's like, what about you? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think maybe this is like tied into the reincarnation? Like subconsciously she knows what, like that she's going to die young because it's said that, um, Storia. Yeah. Right. Um, like what didn't fight her death, like past ha- like her first death, she happily passed through into the afterlife. Yeah. Right. Um, so I wonder if that maybe is where some of her acceptance is coming from. Yeah. Is this like lingering, you know, subconscious, maybe memory or just feeling that's connected to death that she's not scared of it because she knows. That's, I mean, and that's kind of where she's meant to be, right? Because he, Mm -hmm. Colas manages to bring her back to life. You know, I just think of Evanescence every time I say that. (laughs) Yeah, I won't sing it, but gosh, I'm going to have to cut that phrase out of my vocabulary. Uh, When he reanimates is not the right word either. I want to say that because we just did Frankenstein when he brings her back to life. We'll just go with the evanescence trigger. Um, when he brings her back to life, she's a completely different person. Like she was ready to die. She was there for it. And so I, yeah, I could see what you're saying where it's like, that's, that's sort of where her soul is meant to be anyway. If that's just like her reincarnated form, embracing death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought. Part of me also wonder if she's not just that way because she's known from the moment of cognizance that she was going to die anyway. Right. She's been trained her whole life to kill Nikos, knowing that in doing that, someone will immediately kill her after. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure. So there's some acceptance on that level. It, itself um but you you think when she kind of got spared from it maybe that went away a little bit that you know she, but she did she seeks out dangerous situations yeah she, she's like I, an adrenaline junkie maybe well that part, i mean you wouldn't just switch yeah that's she's true. been raised for i forget is she 17 mm-hmm. yeah so you wouldn't just switch after 17 years of being told you're gonna die Mm -hmm. to suddenly like okay well I guess I guess this is especially because of the way her family treats her I mean they treat her like garbage they use her to take out their enemies I mean honestly I don't know I don't know how she carries on I feel like that would be such a hopeless way to live and it's got to be just like this sense of duty that she has to her people that motivates her to carry on because she does nothing else it's not like she has a family that loves her. Her stepsister's nice to her, but she doesn't have companions except Sir Holland, who mm-hmm. trains her. 
So this overwhelming sense of duty would have to be the only thing that keeps her motivated, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And Sir Holland, we find this out later on. We know he's um, an RA, heir. How do you say it? RA, RA. He's a fate. Yeah, he's a fate. And so he has this conversation with her where he's like, he says that she has an ember of life in her. Mm-hmm. He knows. And so he's raising her. He knows. Well, kind of raising and, her. and we think it's just like this sweet moment. Like I thought of Victor. Do you remember? Yeah. Oh, do I remember? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I thought of Victor from, from Blood and Ash because he was the one that trained Poppy. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that was really encouraging of her. And he didn't know that she was like anything special at that point. He just, I guess, kind of felt sorry and fatherly for her. But he was sort of the same type of figure that um, Sir Holland was mm-hmm. for, what's her name? Sarah. So uh, that's that's kind of where that they reminded me of that. It kind of makes me wonder if Victor is, and we said this before, it makes me wonder if Victor is going to end up being more than we actually thought he was. Well, especially because the guardians, right? They're mm-hmm. called Victor's. Oh my gosh, you're right. <gasps> what if he's a guardian? Oh, Vicky, that's a good connection. Look at so. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I wonder if there's just a freaking ton of Vic- like people named Victor. <laughs> <laughs> my, what a common name this is. <laughs> yeah. yep. Or Victorias. That'd be the female mm-hmm. equivalent. Just mm-hmm. a bunch of Victor Victorias. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Oh, how great would that be? Mm. Yeah. So we find out right there, victors, and that's what these random civilians were that were killed and the baby that was killed. Um, they were people who were like sort of guardians. Mm-hmm. For Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Ooh, I can't wait to find out. <laughs> How did you feel about Sarah? So I, so my first read of this, I got such poppy vibes. I was like, she's poppy. She's like in a more aggressive form of poppy, um, mm-hmm. which I wasn't a massive fan of at first, you know, cause I wanted maybe a little bit more distinction between the two characters, mm-hmm. but um, I ended up coming to really like her. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Well, I didn't like her at first and I'm, I still am not really sure why. I don't know if it's because she almost like she allows herself to be treated so poorly by her family. And I recognize that she puts herself in this situation because of this overwhelming sense of loyalty that she has to her people. And so I get why she stays in this awful situation with her family where her stepbrother is like verbally abusive to her and also really creepy. And her mom is psycho-emotionally abusive to her and terrible. I understand sort of why she stays in that situation. It's just very frustrating to me. And maybe that's where some of that dislike for her came in because for my mind, you should just leave, but she can't because it'll feel like abandoning her people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hated her mom and her. Oh my God. Pretty much everyone else in her family. Yep. Her stepbrother's a creepy dirtbag. Her stepsister 
you know, is like supportive kind of and affirming kind of, but at the same time, she's complicit in this crap treatment that she receives at the hands of her mother and stepbrother. And uh, like that frustrates me. She's not the worst. It's like doing the bare minimum though. And we know how we feel about that. Yeah. I know her mom and especially her stepbrother, God, made me so angry. And I think I was even angrier on my reread about it. Maybe because I read it so quickly, like back to back. I hadn't calmed down from the first time I read it. But man, just awful. Her mother, could you imagine being treated that way by your mother? Right. Whoa. Like, so she goes in and she's in that sitting room or I'm calling it a sitting room. You know, she's looking at the painting of her dad and her mom comes in and um you know Sarah kind of throws a little bit of it makes like some really dramatic remark about maybe she'll go off and die right Mm -hmm. and her mom says well do what you must it's like excuse me Mm -hmm. like no reaction to that like yeah like I know Sarah was being dramatic and everything but still yeah that's not right her mom is just oh my mom so much she's the worst so much I mean and then um okay so the king dies mm-hmm. right and makes tavius that means tavius is the new king mm-hmm. and tavius's first act as king is to try to whip sarah mm-hmm. and her mother shows up and defends him i know i was so mad i was furious Absolutely i hated furious. that for sarah i hated that for sarah you know she's in a super vulnerable position her shirt's been ripped 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 out ripped open she's been whipped and her mom is over here pleading with Nikos not to kill Tavius yes and it's so frustrating because she says he'll never do something like this again and it's like that's exactly what his father said um in that meeting that they had he was Uh like he won't do something like this again bull he totally will Totally will. And he did. And it escalated because I think he he grabbed her by the arm or something in that original meeting. She had a big bruise on her arm. He grabbed her by the, well, no, he threw that bowl at her. Oh, that's right. He that's right. It was a bowl, a bowl of date or fig dates or figs yes. or something at her. And she raised her arm to protect her face and it hit her. That's right. That's bruise. Yeah. Yeah. And his father, the king at the time was like, that will never happen again. And she's just like, yes, it will. It will. And it'll escalate. And it did, because that's what happens. Ugh, just awful. Oh, gosh, her mom is terrible. Mm -hmm. I am very curious about her mother. The internet has some theories. Mm -hmm. The internet thinks that she was involved in the death of both kings. So I'm not sure about that. So it's mentioned how much her mother really loved um, her father. Right, mm-hmm. Sarah's father, and that they were heartmates. Mm-hmm. Now, what I could see happening is because it says his death kind of took a piece of her. Now, if she did kill him for some reason, which what what is really the motivation there to kill him? Uh, maybe he was planning on stopping the um. I want to call it ascension, but that's not right. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is with um, Sarah being married off to the um, primal of death. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why she did it. Yeah. I don't know. But I think she would have been very sad and very guilty because if she truly loved him the way that Sarah believes, that would be awful. And then to me, um, that's interesting. Well, yeah. 
But maybe if that's what happened, that's why she's so hateful to Sarah. Cause she sees her, it's like, she treats, she sees it like it being Sarah's fault that she is in that situation. That's true. And then it's interesting then that Sarah is put into a similar position where if she falls in love with Nikos, right? She's mm-hmm. expected to stab him or murder him, whatever, kill mm-hmm. him, right? Um, so that's just a little bit interesting. And then my other thought was with the other king, right? With her new husband. Um, but I just, I don't know the motive for him, to, for her to kill him and then make Tavius king. Yeah. I'm just not sure what the motivation would be. Yeah. I'm not really sure either. It's just a theory that I saw online. I wonder if she was involved with maybe hiring those people that tried to kill um, Sarah in the castle. See, that was, I thought so too, because Tavius denies it, right? Yeah. He's like, I don't even have money. Yeah. And that's what his sister says too. Like he doesn't have, he's always asking me for money. So my first thought was actually the King because she comes out of that meeting with him Mm -hmm. and it was kind of ominous. He was like, it'll all be handled soon. You'll see it'll all be over soon. Right. He says that. And then the next thing that happens is that she gets attacked and Mm -hmm. they try to murder her. But, um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was the queen. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if she was involved in some way because they say like, so someone paid them. Um, and I think they say it was a he and it could have been a he, but the queen has resources and she could have hired someone to do her dirty work for her. Cause that's what she had Sarah do for her too. So I just wonder, I feel like she's not completely innocent in the things that are happening in this castle. The mom has to be involved in some way. Yeah. Now, what I do like about that attack, right? So they lure her in using Mm -hmm. a girl saying, please help me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then later on that girl comes back and actually is the one to, um, try to help Sarah when Tavius is whipping her, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting because she was advised to try to kick her out of the castle, Mm -hmm. but she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was good. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I was really concerned about how things were going to go with Tavius. I thought this was going to get a little bit incesty when um, he was hanging out in her room like drunk and then he restrained her and is laying on top of her. And I thought, oh no, where's this going? Yeah. I was really glad it didn't go that way. I was super glad it didn't go that way. It was yeah. very relieved. I was like, oh, okay. He's just being a dickhead. Like, Yeah. Um, I'm very worried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah is given a really tough job. She has to make a primal fall in love with her to kill them. So the only way for a primal to be killed is to fall in love. Yeah. Like they're real hard to kill. And the, the way to do it is to make them fall in love. Is it any wonder that they're all heartless psychopaths? Why would you bother getting close to anyone if it gave them the power to kill you? Oh my gosh. You know what's going to happen? I bet she's going to use this on Colas. That I bet that uh, she kills him. You think we're going to do like a bait and switch thing? Yeah. Cause he's probably <gasps> going to like steal her. Right. He's probably going to take her and he fell in love just by seeing her. 
right? When she was yeah. just picking flowers the first time. So that should be. Oh, how great would that be? That, that would be, would be really good. That would be like a, oh, we saw that in like a court of wings and ruins where we dismantle the system from the inside. I love stuff like that. I hope that's mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. Ooh, maybe we'll see. Man, I can't wait. That's it's so hard to read a book and love it and then have to wait a year for the next one to come out. I know it really is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I like, you know, we talk about how terrible gods and deities and primals and all of that. Like we talk about how the gods are dicks a whole lot, but in this situation, I can totally get why I wouldn't want to get close to anyone if it gave them the power to kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a lonely life. Yeah. I think, so they mention um, there is somebody about how primals end up basically going mad, kind of, the longer they're alive. They uh, they become more ether than God or something like that, yeah. is what's said, um, which is why they either, like, go to sleep or go crazy. Yeah. Um, and Nikos is Nikos. Um, Nikos's parents were both both primals, right? At least, at the very least, his dad was a primal. His dad was. I can't remember if the mom was. Yeah, you know, I think she may have just been a god. Goddess. I think she was just a god. I don't think she was a primal, but still, but he fell in love, and Nikos, um, Nikos, got to grow up seeing love, and then but seeing what the destruction that it caused. Well, no, he didn't get to grow up seeing love. Oh, that's right. She died when, that's right. I'm sorry. But he did see. Like a a being that was in love, just with nobody to love. Yes. Yeah. And falling in love with a mortal would be especially bad for him. Because then she would definitely die. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of what Nikos does and he acts kind of like a butthead later in the book, but I think a lot of it is just to protect himself. It would be hard to make yourself vulnerable knowing that it could literally get you killed. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so with this book, we finally have an origin story for the maiden, right? Yes. Sarah was the first maiden. Yes. Like the only other maiden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know- this makes me want to go back and reread what if I think it's from the first one, Blood and Ash, when she talks to the Duchess about the first maiden. Because mm-hmm. I don't remember what she said. Yeah, I can't either. There was another one. She died, I think. Didn't she die? Oh, that's right. Wait, no, she said she was he was uh, killed by the dark one. Right? Uh, oh, who's the dark one? Yes. <gasps> um, it's, maybe it's Colas. Maybe it's Colas. <laughs> we have we need more answers. We get, and it was the same way when we read Crown of Gilded Bones, too. It was like for all of the answers that we have, we develop even more questions. Yes. I like that about a book. I mean, I like that it keeps me guessing. There's lots of stuff with this where it's like, oh, we found this out, but now what does this mean? Yeah yeah so So maybe the dark well no it can't be called well we don't know what happens with colas but the dark one is the person that allegedly kills poppy's parents too right so i don't think it's gonna be that's right well that also means that sarah has to die at some point 
What if the oh. dark one is Nikos? Yeah, I was just gonna think Nikos, um, because she does have to die to be ascended, right? Yeah. Basically. So maybe he that's what's happening. Figured it out. We figured it out, Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yeah. lined up. <laughs> yes, it is. That's it. We've thought we've we've answered all the questions. <laughs> Well, that would make sense, right? Yeah. Well, and it would make sense because he, well, I don't actually know if he can leave his little, wherever he is, Elysium or wherever they are. But mm-hmm. he says when he meets Poppy, he says, yeah, I've been awake for a while. I just didn't know why. Maybe that's it. Although it wouldn't make sense for him to kill her parents. So I don't know why he would do that. I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in March, we'll find out. Maybe, or maybe like 10 years down the road. <laughs> Because she's writing so many of these books. Yeah. She's got at least six. Oh, wow. Of just from the from the Blood and Ash one. Who knows how many um, A-site ones. Yeah. Yeah, well, we will find out. Ooh. See, did anyone refer to him as the dark one in this book? I don't think it came up at all. No. Now I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't think, that's not. think so. I feel like we would have caught that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so they say this a whole, whole lot. They say that she was born, Sarah was born in a shroud. Yes. That gets said probably 50 times. It makes, that's an exaggeration, but it does get said a lot. I wonder if they mean that she was born in call, like still within the amniotic sac. I think so. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah. I mean, they say it a lot and I, that's, my mind went to that every time. Like, do they mean within the amniotic sac? See, I think it must mean that because if you think about it, it's been like what, 200 years since that um which we call it was made the deal was made right mm-hmm. and in all that time only one female child has been born mm-hmm. like I think it really meant one female child born in like the amniotic sac and right the yeah. first the first female of the bloodline born um in uh in a shroud yeah I don't in know what else it could mean that's got to be it yeah so it's possible there were a bunch of other women born into the family and but just not in a shroud in the amniotic sac because that's not super common, right? No, it's not. So that happens in another book, and I can't remember what it is. Does it happen in Discovery of Witches? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Was Diana born in a mm-hmm. in call? Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. And yeah. I think they say shroud in that too, which is I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to do more research. I mean, that, it's like a big, it was a big deal in a discovery of witches too. Like it was symbolic and significant for Diana. So mm-hmm. this must be a thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I do think these books need a glossary because this is the fourth book in this world that we've read. And I still don't know what it means to be ascended and so, i'm still not really sure i have a better idea of what the right is now at least from this book i don't understand what the right is and from blood and ash now though yeah 
I don't really know, but being ascended in the From Blood Nash books, right, is being turned into a vampire. But it's not here. Right. It's not here. Well, but they're being ascended to like take care of the gods. So right? do they so, become gods? I don't think they become gods. I think they're made immortal or something. I don't I don't know. I don't remember who or what made the Atlanteans. Well, the Atlanteans are descendants of gods, right? Okay. Are they? I don't know. I need a. I All right, I got. I got to look. All right, or a glossary. I don't. I need help, Jennifer Armentrout. I need help. I need like a a flow chart or a glossary. A pronunciation guide would be rad. We've talked about how much we hate it when animals get hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those are the only things that Sarah is willing to use her gift on. So I read she saved the wolf. She saved a, like her pet cat or something It's like, oh, well, I guess we could probably be friends then. And she's hesitant to use it on people, which I totally get. But if it's an animal, she's all for it. Yes. Same. Um. So that wolf that she saves, right? Uh-huh. It's like some sort of fancy wolf. It's like a caillou. It's a caillou wolf. Right. Now, is this, like, do the wolven descend from those types of wolves? I fancy couldn't about remember. I could not remember if this comes in later. And I was reading, so a theory, we're in the Facebook group. I was reading a theory that, you know, they said that Nectus, not Nectus, uh, Nikos created the, what are they called? The wolven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They said that, uh, that, uh, Nikos created the wolven to protect their kids, but the internet theorizes that it was actually Sarah that created the woven to protect her kids. And they just rewrote history to say that it was Nikos to protect her. That would make sense. I, that would make and, sense. Yeah. Because, and this is something that we ran into when we were reading Crown of Gilded Bones. They don't call her Sarah. They call her, her the consort. And the internet thinks that's to protect Sarah's identity and to keep people from saying her name because the internet also thinks that if you say her name, you'll summon her somehow and bad things will happen. Like the Candyman or like... I don't know. uh, What is it that you Bloody Mary in the mirror? Yeah, I don't know. That's just like shit will go down as Sarah is raised, uh, which is why they refer to her as the consort. Hmm. Which, you know what, would kind of make sense. At some point, she says, like, if anybody in my family was ever injured, I would destroy worlds mm-hmm. or something for them. So maybe they don't want to bring her bring Well, her maybe back. so, because one of her kids is dead, right? And the mm-hmm. other one is missing. Right. Dead, supposedly dead. Maybe not dead, dead. Because didn't Malik, wasn't he, like, entombed under the blood forest? right uh, like the weird manacles so he's not like actually dead just like as close to dead as you can be without being dead yeah which we actually do see in this book what he may turn may have turned into because in the redwoods right there there's a god buried there gods 
plural. It's like a it's like a graveyard. Yeah. Dead and they were yeah, and so then they were held with the um bones, right? Mm-hmm. Of other gods. And um yeah, and then we get to see them, they rise, or at least one of them mm-hmm. rises. And um yeah. So that might be what Back Sarah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's it. Like, yeah. Well, I don't think it's him, but that's going to be like that could be what if they try to if they sit, are able to save him. If what they if find Colas? That would be bad. Don't want that. I don't know. We'll have to find out what happens with Colas. I can't. I don't. Hmm. We don't know. This whole episode is just us asking questions that can't be answered. <laughs> <laughs> all we have is theories at this point yeah um i don't know uh yeah okay so more questions with no answers um i got real worried when ezra asked what's her name sarah to revive her lover Oh, I was oh, so worried. Yeah, I thought we were going to have like an earth splitting primal walking out of the ground moment. We didn't. It ended up being fine. Um, but I got worried for just a second. And I love how near the end when she revives Gemma and, and um, I think Nikos asks her like, why didn't you say anything about this to me? And she was like, I thought you'd, I didn't, <laughs> I thought you'd want, I thought you'd be mad that I was doing part of your job or keeping someone from you. Oh yeah. Keeping someone from death. She keeps thinking he's so much worse than he is. Like, so when she goes into his realm, right. Mm-hmm. There are gods impaled on things like on the rise. Yeah. Think, right. And he explains like they did something bad. And that's why they're up there. And she thinks he did it. Yeah. And so later on it comes up and he's like, wait, you think I did that? I didn't do that. That wasn't me. Other people did that to try to make me mad. Yeah. It's like she has this weird, and part of it could be like, I mean, they they really don't know each other very well. He Mm -hmm. is the primal of death and some assumptions I'm sure come with that, like that you would kill people and impale them on your wall. It doesn't make a good first impression. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could see her maybe making some assumptions about him based on that. It's not right, but I could see it. Um, so yeah, she does kind of, and part of me also wonders if that would make it easier for her to do what she's been tasked with. If she can think the worst of him, maybe she can feel better about trying to make him fall in love with kill live with her and killing him. Yeah. I mean, she does say several times, like, why does he have to be so thoughtful, you know, mm-hmm. and she finds out all this stuff. And, uh, she says, I'm willing to bet there is more than one decent bone in his body. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah so there's that he just I mean so I for reasons that I don't understand visualized Nikos kind of like Henry Cavill as the witcher (laughs) I know he doesn't have silver hair but I definitely pictured him that way but I also envisioned him as Drew Runis from Beauty and the Mustache by Penny Reed it's my favorite book boyfriend he's my favorite 
I love, and he reminded me of Drew a whole lot because he's pretty kind. No one in his realm is there because they don't want to be there. He mm. is thoughtful, thoughtful and honorable, and he respects people and he rejects Sarah out of concern for her not being able to consent to their arrangements. Yeah. I mean, he's doing it. He, you know, was sort of misguided because he thinks he's protecting her and it ends up not working out real well for her. And he doesn't realize that, but he, his intentions are honorable. He doesn't want her to be forced into a situation, even though he is also being forced into a situation. He doesn't want, and he can, he can tell that she's fearful. He doesn't want to put her in that situation. He, um, is nice. And when he does finally step in, it's because, well, she's being threatened also, but he, he doesn't have a choice at that point. So I just really liked him more, I think, than I liked Castile and From Blood and Ash. Did you, which one did you prefer? Or if you were going to pick between the two, who would you go for? Well, uh, see, I think I like Nikos more. Just because he's a little bit edgier. Yeah. I kind of dig that. But Cass is super sweet. So if I could like put myself into one of the relationships where they stand right now, right? Like in this in this world, I wouldn't want to be in Sarah's shoes. That goes. Well, yeah. But I mean Cass is all worshipy and sweet. And I'm like, oh like, yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, that's the cast that I'm getting. Yeah. I get I don't know. I mean, I get that things ended on kind of a rough note at the end of this book for Sarah and Nikos, but they also ended on a rough note for Poppy and Cass at the end of From Blood and Ash. So uh, based on the tra- trajectory that I think we're going to make with Sarah and Nikos, I think I would pick him. I'm just yeah. assuming things are going to work out well, but uh, from personality wise where we're at with Nikos I think him I like him a little bit better and it could uh you know we get this sort of I mean parallel again it's just the roles are reversed so in from blood and ash we had Castile trying to get Poppy so so he could use her as like collateral or a bargaining chip to have his brother released so he fell in love with her but he was planning to give her up basically for his own benefit and we have kind of the opposite of that in this situation where it's Sarah, the female who is trying to, I mean, she has feelings for Nikos already, whether they're talking about them or not, but she was still. And honestly, she abandons her plan to kill him pretty quickly, but we have that parallel where they're going to sacrifice the person that they have feelings for, for their own country or what to serve a, a, the greater good kind of. Mm-hmm. And so it annoyed me that Castile was kind of deceptive with Poppy. And I feel like Nikos is pretty open with Sarah about That's true. his feelings. And so because of that, I think I prefer him a little bit more. Okay till the end till the end when he turned into a big butthead you know I was rooting for him we were all rooting for him (laughs) 
I was so worried about what was going to happen when he found out that she betrayed him. And at some point I was like, maybe she just won't say anything. Yeah. Right. Like she could have very easily just been like, oh, yeah. I thought that just sealing the deal meant that the rot would stop and ended it there. But she just told on herself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if we're going to talk, if we're going to talk about this, we need to back up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and talk about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there are some pretty major plot twists in here. One of them is that uh, Nikos isn't causing the rot. Mm -hmm. And even if Sarah married him and killed him, it wouldn't stop the rot from ending in her world. And I thought it was hysterical that... So Nikos is like, yeah, I mean, when we made this arrangement a while ago, it was just so that like the seasons would be really mild. This is your norm. These are seasons. There's like bad weather because there's seasons and weather. It's just the weather. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. I don't know why. Um, but Sarah has this like eye-opening moment and she realizes that this thing that she was bred for her entire life even if she accomplished what she was supposed to it wouldn't change anything in her world and it's liberating for her but at the same time it reveals to Nikos her actual plan in being with him which was that she was bred to kill him so that it would save her people and he doesn't receive that information well. Naturally. As, as you do, you know, when you find out that you've been betrayed. And so he, you know, is a bit unkind to her when this information is revealed. Now, like you said, I do love that she like straight up tells on herself, like, yeah, I was totally going to kill you. Why not be honest at this point? Yeah. Um, it was just really cringy to read. Yep. Because you know, as soon as it's revealed, you know it's going to be a problem. And it pissed me off how badly his friends treated her when they find out. Like, I get it. I get, like, I... I'm struggling with two things here. You can say if like, I don't, you may feel the same way, but it's like, I recognize his feelings. He is justified in feeling betrayed and angry and upset because even though he says he doesn't, like he's not, he has this really angsty moment. He's like, I can't love anybody. It's like, of course you can't baby. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, he's like, I'll never be in love. We'll see. Okay. Um, but I get like, he's totally justified in feeling betrayed and upset. And even though he's not acknowledging that he has feelings for Sarah at this point, would you be this upset if you didn't have feelings for Sarah? I don't think so. I don't think he would be so hurt by this if he didn't already have some feelings for her. So I get and understand why he's so bothered, but he is really cruel to Sarah and he says hurtful things to her and I know I understand why like I, I get the rationale I understand where he's coming from but I don't like it mm -hmm. 
I don't like the things that he says to Sarah or the way he treats her. And I don't like the way his friends treat her either. I agree. I understand it is, it's one of those, it's one of those understanding, but hating it sort of things, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. And Sarah understands too. She understands the, with the, the depth of the betrayal and his past history. So he says that he can't love someone because love gets people killed. And that's what happened to his mom and his dad. His dad left his mom and his mom was killed while she was pregnant with him. Like he, she understands his perspective and she comes to him and is like, look, I get that you can't love me. I totally understand. Could we like be friends? And he yeah. laughs at her, he scoffs. Huh. Like I could be friends with you. I would always doubt you. I would always question what you were saying to me. I could never trust you. Like, okay. Like I, even that I get, especially, I mean, he just found out about this big betrayal. So I get his feelings are super on the surface. Things feel very intense right now, but then he caught, he says, you would never be more than a vessel to me. And I, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was, I guess I was so hot. I'm still mad about it. And I know you're mad about it because you just read it. <laughs> <laughs> we, before we started recording, we had talked about this. So in the book that we just read, uh, a heart of blood and ashes by Mila Vane, the main character, the hero says this to our heroine and it's so hurtful. And we were so pissed off. He calls her a vessel. He says, you would never be more than just a vessel. We, we would uh, have kids, but I could never love you. You'd have to get love from our children. And it was so, so hurtful. And so when I read this, you would not be nothing more than a vessel. I was just like, oh no, I can't, I can't do this again. <laughs> it like, it hurt me. Yeah. It really hurt me for Sarah. You know, now that we're talking about this, I'm realizing that we have like more parallels than I realized um, because that character, her name was Yavine. She didn't have anyone in her life either. She had her mother who died um, and she had her youngest brother who she also had limited contact with. Like she was pretty isolated and Sarah is the same way. And all Sarah, I mean, really all Sarah wants is like a friend. She just wants, she just wants a friend. And he comes at her with words that are so hurtful to read. Yeah. She just wants, yeah. Companionship. I mean, who mm -hmm. doesn't, especially when she's lived her whole life without, there's been no softness for Sarah. Mm -hmm. Even from her, like her nursemaid or whatever, who dies in this book, you know, there was always that sort of distance from her too. I really want some softness for our main character. I just want somebody to be nice to her. Yeah. So it hurts. It does. And then, so he's real hot and cold with her too. That's something else that was frustrating for me to read. And I think part of that is going to come from Nikos, like suppressing his feelings. 
Like he definitely, like there's no way that he doesn't have feelings for her. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the way he reacts, he's like, fuck the fates. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's very emphatic about his, like, uh, there's just, there's no way that he doesn't have feelings for her. They're just not things he's ready to acknowledge yet. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what makes this so frustrating. They have, when they first arrive at his castle, he's really sweet to her. Like he, she's covered in blood. She's just been whipped. So he helps her bathe. He helps her wash her hair. He helps her brush her hair. He puts the staff on her back and then just like he ghosts her for like three days. Mm-hmm. She, after he's been betrayed and Colas sends his people to fight. So she heals Jimba. There's this big wave of power. Colas sends his men, uh, his dragon and other I forget what the monsters are. He sends monsters to attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, in the water, you mean? Yeah, the water monsters, whatever mm-hmm. they are. I forget. Oh. Uh, he yeah. sends them. And Nikos is injured, but he doesn't want to feed, which would help with his healing process. So he's injured. He doesn't want to feed. And Sarah's like, look, I'll bite the bullet. I will offer myself. So she does. She goes, they have a really hot, passionate sex. They cuddle. And then she wakes up alone. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, I guess we're doing this. She goes to her room. She takes a bath and who shows up, but this guy with buckets of hot water. And the guy is like, Nyko said that you might want to take a bath. He helped me carry this water up myself, like with himself. Like it's sweet. Yeah. But then he forgets to leave a guard for her and she's almost choked to death. He has a lot going on. He does. I mean, she almost dies again when she helps ascend Belle or Bela, whatever we're calling her. And she's real tired and she falls asleep. She wakes up with her head on his lap, which is sweet. They have a kiss. That's also sweet. And then he's like, this changes nothing. Like, dude. And what, so part of my struggle with this is when the roles were reversed and this was happening in from blood and ash and Poppy was the one that had, that had been betrayed and Castile was the one that was trying to make things up. It was like, my feelings were different. I was like, well, she, he needs to suffer and things like that. And now that the woman is the one suffering, like, I don't like it. I don't want her to feel this way. (laughs) Yeah. And I think part of that is it is a little bit different. Castile's brother is gone, but like he at least had parents that loved him and friends and people that took care of him and stuff like that. And Poppy never had that. And Sarah's never had that. And now she still won't have that because this person. ah. (laughs) That was very eloquent. I mean, at least Castile had people that loved him. Sarah's the one that's in the wrong this time, but she hasn't ever had love. So the circumstances are a little different. All right. Let's talk about Tavius. I hate him. Oh, I hate him so much. So he's awful. But this is where, so we get to see him die, right? And this is where Jennifer Armentrout's amazing. She writes revenge deaths just perfectly. I don't think I've been disappointed in a single one of them. They're magic. They are. I mean... So after being, you know, abused, getting whipped by uh, Tavius, 
right? Nico shows up and um, is he's about to kill him. And Sarah goes, no, 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 don't do that. And he's like, oh, oh okay. And she, she cuts off his arm, right? Right below the elbow. He, she cuts off one of his arms and then shoves the whip down his throat. Mm. Yes. It was so good. Mm-hmm. It was so, so good. Like the cutting off the arms, that was brutal. The whip mm-hmm. thing. Oh my gosh. Yep. That really clinched it. That really clinched it. That whole scene was spectacular. She's being, she's being whipped and is like cackling and she gets in Tavius's face and is like, I just need you to know I'm going to cut your arms off and I'm going to die. Like you're going to die and I'm going to be laughing. I would not have the presence of mind to be, to be in that, like, like that if I was being whipped. Um, but it's at that moment that she feels, she's feeling like this, like otherworldly thing coming into her body and Tavius is visibly shaken by it. But um, what's, let's see, what's really great about that is like in the middle of this daddy Nyko shows up and he's like, I know you didn't whip what's mine. Yep. And no, you didn't. I was like, mm, yes, daddy, you showed up to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he destroys the guards that drug Sarah to this room. And I loved it. And he was going all in to kill her parent, like her mom and her sister. And I was for that too. I wish that she had, he had killed her mom. I hate her. Yeah, me too. I would have loved to see her mom die, especially after she defended Tavius. Oh my gosh. That set me on fire. I have no space in in my heart for moms that don't protect and support their kids. Mm -hmm. And then, so I like this, how, um, Sarah, so she kills Tavius and then she just looks at her mom. She's just like, "Mm." Mm." and then she tells Ezra that she should rule, which is great. I support that. Um, but I thought it was funny how she killed, uh, she, Nikos was like, all right, you can take his death. But then she killed him and he was like, okay, so now you actually do have to come with me though, because you killed royalty and I can do that because I'm a primal, but you are just a human and that's against the laws. Okay. What is this legal, he's this like, random legal system? <laughs> and he's like, it's just now occurring to you that you killed the like king. Yeah. He's like, well, yes, yes, it is. Yeah, that was great. Um, what did you think about Sarah's conflict and having to kill, like, and have it wanting to do what she wants to do, but also having feeling pressured to like fulfill this role that she was put into. I mean, I feel terrible for her. Um, it's such a, it's such an awful deal, you know, that she's stuck with. Mm-hmm. She's given pretty much an impossible task. Um, just awful. What about you? 
I mean, I, it was interesting to read her conflict because she says several times, like, I should be trying to seduce him. I should be trying to do this. I should be trying to endear myself to Nikos, but I just like, I can't. And her, she's always like way too honest. She just gets sort of word vomits the things that yes. she's thinking. And I, it's, it, it's surprising, I, I guess, to, to them. Um, it's, it's interesting to read her conflict though, because it's like she was shoved into this box, this person that she was supposed to be for 17 years and he rejects her and suddenly the box doesn't exist anymore. She can be who she wants to be until she finds out who he is. She finds out that he's the primal. And then it's like, well, now I have to shove myself into this box, but I can't. Right. Yeah. And I like almost after like so many of their interactions, she's like, well, I blew that seduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, like, there's a scene where he like dried her off after the bath. Right. And uh, fingers her and he leaves, I think. And she's like, oh, I was supposed to do the seducing, but I got seduced. Yeah. And it's like, she try. she's just bad at it. She's yeah. too much. Uh, too much uh, fire she wants to know things she's not she can't be the submissive consort that she was trained to be yeah there's just a lack of artifice with her now which I think is interesting because if so she doesn't appreciate him rejecting her three years ago and her she's had to endure a bunch of crap because of his actions because he rejected her and like her life got a lot harder and he thinks he did her a favor. He thinks yeah. the last three years have been hunky dory for her and they haven't. And he has no idea. Yeah. And her mom, like the first thing that she says to her is you failed me. You failed all of us. Your failure has doomed us. I was so pissed. Mm-hmm. This is like, how did thing. she fail? How, what was she supposed to do? But she takes all of that on. She takes she takes the blame for all of it. And this is a thing that we're working on in therapy right now. Like not picking up what's not yours. Mm-hmm. Just because it's out there doesn't mean you have to pick it up. So this happened. And I was like, don't pick it up, Sarah. This isn't your fault. You're not yeah. responsible for the fate of an entire country. That's not yours to pick up. I was so mad. But people like to have a scapegoat. Yes. I mean, Sarah picks up so many things that aren't her fault, you know, yeah. like her um, father's death. He, she thinks it's um, her fault that he jumped, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Just because it's out there doesn't mean you have to pick it up, Sarah, but she does. And I hate that for her because that ends up being the thing that guides so many of her behaviors or her actions. Um, yeah. And she feels so much, she feels so much guilt about it. And so I love for her when she does finally find out that there's nothing that she can do about the rot. Like what a huge moment of liberation for her. Can you imagine the weight that was lifted off? Yeah. She can be attracted to Nikos without having like a motivation for it. Just being genuinely attracted to him. How Mm -hmm. liberating. She doesn't have to kill this person that she actually likes. How liberating. Yes. But, but also, at the same time, it ends up screwing her because she's like, yeah, I was totally going to kill you, but I don't have to anymore. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> yes. So she finds out she doesn't have to kill him, which is liberating, but also damning 
in its own way um yeah so um yeah I just I just had a lot of like feelings of conflict and reading about her feelings for this in this situation, but at this, like, I hate all of the bad things that she endured over the last three years, but I don't think that Nikos would have been into her at 17, the way that she was then. I think that the fire that she has, the fearlessness, the fearlessness that she shows her bravery, her ability to defend herself. Those are all things that pull him in that attract yes. him to her. And so he, if she hadn't experienced all of the garbage that she did for the last three years, I don't think that they would have got on. I agree. Because his rejection shaped her. Yeah. In more than one way, you know, like, so she was brought up to seduce him. He rejects her. Right. So now what she was brought up as she doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And not to mention then she's dealing with all of the, I don't know, punishment or torture or whatever, I guess, from her family which shapes her too. And she gets to go off and she's like, all these things that were forbidden to me as a maiden, I'm going to go off and do like, I'm pretty sure she goes to brothels, right? That's what that um, definitely does. Yep. Yep. Gets it Um, on. mm -hmm. Learns to fight. Yep. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that she endured so much crap, but I think it shaped her. I agree. Yeah. Can I just say, I loved that we get like a history of the Draken in this story. We learn more about them. I love that we get to see baby Reaver and baby Jadis. Yes. I want one. I want a baby Draken. <laughs> How cute were they? They Seriously, were so cute. Reaver and they were, I just pictured like puppies mm-hmm. and, with wings. I know that kind of shoot fire a little bit. Yeah. That get a little flamey. They were just, they were real cute. And I want one. I love that we got to see them and I like how playful and special. Oh my gosh. I just thought of something. Jadis is really attached to Sarah, right? Mm -hmm. And she's missing. And from blood and ash, right? Oh, yes. That's going to be significant. Maybe that's why they don't want to wake her up. Yeah. Hmm. That's going to be upsetting. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm real curious. Is Nectus still alive? I can't remember if he was mentioned. Yes. Yes, he is. Okay. All right. So it's just Reaver then. Grumpy old Reaver. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So I loved getting to see them. What did you um, think about the twist with Sir Holland? Uh, him being a fate. Mm-hmm. So I knew there was something about him. Did you think there was something about him? Yeah. You like immediately. Like, this is, this is, this guy is, there's something here. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And then he brings her that random tonic and is like, just drink this. And it's like, okay, not mm-hmm. suspicious. Yeah. Uh, I knew there had to be something. I did think it was really interesting that he was a fate and he was working so closely with her because a lot of times in mythology, like fates can't interfere. And he says that several times that he can't interfere, but I, you get the sense that he was right on the edge of towing the line, right? 
Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, he tells her that she has an ember of life inside of her. Yeah. And everything. Like, he basically reveals it to her. And she's yeah. just like, what? Okay. Like, thanks. Yeah. yeah. It's nice that you care about me, mm-hmm. Sir Holland. Yeah. I was, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to be a fate, but I was a little bit. I was surprised. I was surprised that he was a fate, but I knew that there was something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't think he was going to be a fate, but I knew he wasn't just a guard, especially when she says like, oh, he didn't age. He says it was like a fifth of whiskey mm-hmm. is what. Yeah. I was like, mm, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be something. Also, there's got to be something going on with him and the primal or goddess or whatever she is. Penelope, Penelope. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a silent age. I don't I don't know. These books make me question my understanding of language, but um, there's got to be something going on there because he was with Sarah for her whole like development and someone makes a comment like, wow, that was a long time. And Penelope was like, yeah, it was a long time. Like there's, there's something going on there. Yeah. When they get to the shadow lands, um, like we said earlier, so they get to the Shadowlands. Sarah is introduced to her room and then basically abandoned for a few days. She just hangs out with yeah. nothing to do and is really bored. And the, this poor dumb man, she's been like training for the last three years. She does what she wants. She lives basically independently. What did he think? What did Nikos think when he just left her in her room? She's not a like a plant. You can't just leave her. You just water her and feed her. She's going to be like, no, she's a grown-ass woman. You just left her. Yeah. Did you think you could lock her up and she wouldn't push back? He just was not thinking. I mean, he even I think Ector. Yeah. Well, he wasn't expecting her to. Right. Yeah. End be up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, I mean, Hector even says, to be honest, I'm not sure what he, like, if he even knows what to do with you, like, cause he didn't, he's just sort of like, oh no. Yeah. She's I mean, here. Yeah. Like I get that he has a lot of things that he needs to prep for. Maybe he could have had one of her, his friends take her a puzzle or like give her a tour. Show her around the ground. Say, like, this is a safe place. You can hang out here. You can't hang out here. He's just really bad at anticipating what her needs are going to be. And yeah, I get it. He wasn't prepared. But you are where you are. You need to do better. Yes. Also, I like that he shows her the library. This is the first time I think that we've run into a situation where the like the female character encounters a library and isn't super impressed. <laughs> He's like, this is boring. They must not have any smutty books in this library. Um, yeah, I know. Cause normally like the, um, the characters are introduced to the library and like, oh my God, it's beautiful. All of these books. Oh my I gosh. I love books. Yes, how <laughs> lovely. And she's like, just like, great. Thanks. Yeah, this is a dusty old library. <laughs> thanks where's your weapons room that's what that's what she should have said yeah yeah um what did you okay so this other beautiful primal shows up and sarah's spying 
eavesdropping and then gets jealous and like all stupid females wanders into the red woods where she's specifically told not to go and almost she's like i can take care of myself this is fine i i was cringing while i read that same i put my kindle down i was like this this stupid girl yeah doesn't even know what's in here she's literally in the shadow lands and he specifically tells her not to go there what does she do goes there she goes straight to the place where he says hey maybe don't sarah is super defiant oh yeah i love how like even when she's being whipped she's like oh gosh i can't even conjure enough fear because that's something that um nikos when he's going by ash he says because he drinks some of her blood he can feel when she is experiencing extreme emotions and this becomes problematic too because he can also like read emotions right and so that that becomes a problem later but she's being whipped and she's like oh my gosh i can't even conjure enough fear for him to realize that i'm in trouble right now (laughs) she's just very reckless this and that that comes up a couple of times from Nikos's perspective too because he gives people instructions that are like watch over her she has no regard for her own life she has no sense of fear don't trust her she will definitely put herself in danger <laughs> and they never believe him no and she almost dies so many times mm-hmm. I like how she was, I feel like I'm being wrongly labeled as a troublemaker yeah um part of me wonders if that's why it's hard for him to kind of accept his feelings for her too because he knows like she has no regard for like it I feel like it would be kind of setting yourself up for heartbreak to try to love something that has no regard for its own self-preservation right and we'll also you know she's mortal so even you know falling in love with a mortal there you know there's a lifespan is just like a blip in there uh compared to the primal's lifespan yeah um there were a few twists in this book should we talk about them uh yes please okay so sarah contains an ember of life which you read that and you think okay it's an ember but it turns out like it's way more than an ember because it was like the last little bit of an ember of life from Nikos's dad. Plus it's whatever little bit of ember of life Nikos received from his dad. And it turns out she's just the primal of life, which we find out at the very end. It's like, oh, turns out you're the primal of life. What? <laughs> oh gosh that's more than an ember yeah (laughs) and just that's a conflagration that is a bonfire (laughs) (laughs) oh god and it's just such a mess the end of this book is such a mess like I mean not like the uh, it was written a mess but all these things are revealed and it's so like just a messy situation. That's what I mean. When I mean, I say it's, it's a, a mess. CF. I had to go back and read it twice to make sure that I absorbed everything that happened. Yeah. So the, gosh, poor Sarah. Basically, it's shown that um, when she asked the fates, like where her threads go, right? 
They're like, yeah, no matter what, you die before you're 21. And she's like, oh, I'm 20. I've been 20 for a little while now. That's very soon. <laughs> right? There's like, I know you got a couple months in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew I was going to die young, but damn. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, unless like this happens, this unexpected thread that goes off, this is what even the fates can't predict. And this is love. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we find out also that her death would equal the death of everything. Right. It just because she is the primal life. So her death just means the death of everything. Mm-hmm. And so, but the only way for her to live past 21 is for Nikos to fall in love with her and ascend her. And it's just such a, sh- um, I'm going to curse, a shitty situation, right? Because Nikos is all like, I'm not, I don't believe in love. I'm not going to fall in love, especially now that she betrayed him. He's like, not even going to consider being her friend. Yeah. You know? And so he's got all this pressure. Like it's the end of the world if they don't fall in love. Yeah. Talk about a high pressure situation. It is a little bit. (laughs) And they've got a couple months, right? How long has she been 24 now? Not that, I mean, maybe they have, maybe they have like, maybe they have 11 months. They don't have much time. She's already started the culling. That's right. Oh, so. So No pressure, but you've got about two weeks to fall in love. (laughs) And uh, otherwise everyone's going to die. So get Mm -hmm. to getting. And this is where kind of, I just kind of want to like slap Nikos a little bit because you know, he's all like, no, I don't fall in love. But then when he finds out that all of her threads end before 21, he's like, no, fuck the fates. That's not going to happen. And then when they point out the other one, he's like, how do I get that? Yeah. He was like, tell me where that is. And how do I get that? And then they tell him, and it's like, oh, fuck. It's not going to work out well. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to be like, why do you care so much about her being alive if you don't exactly. have feelings for her? Exactly. It's like bullshit. You don't have feelings for her. You're really like, you're literally, literally telling a fate, fuck the fates. Like, come on. You got feelings. He's just afraid. He's just afraid. He's just a complex primal who doesn't want to have feelings and doesn't know what to do with them when he has them. Yeah. which I, I mean, I get it. It would be hard to trust in something like that when it resulted in the death of your loved ones. And you don't want to be the cause of another person's death. And like, I get it. I was not, so this is another twist. I was not expecting the whole role twist thing with Nikos's dad actually being the primal of life and Colas being the primal of death. I was surprised by that too. He just stole his dot job and murdered Ash's mom. It's like, wow. It's intense. That is some intense ladder climbing. I was surprised by it. Reinforces our point. Gods are dicks. Yep. Um, and also the calling. So wasn't expecting that to have to be a thing. She kept talking, Sarah kept talking about her headaches. And I was thinking this is going to be an aneurysm or something. She's got a brain tumor. That's what this is. 
Well, it's not. Turns out because she has an ember of life that she's basically a primal already and is going to have to go through the calling, which was unexpected. Yeah. I do wonder about her mom's headaches. Is that something else or does she just have like migraines? I don't know. I mean, you know, Armored Trout's not going to write something and then not bring it back. Yeah. Right. I feel like that's going to be something. Yeah. I have a feeling. I feel like it's going to be something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, should, should we talk about Sarah and Ash finally having sex? Yeah, sure. All right. So this was unexpected. Sarah's that we don't see this very often. I feel like in books where the female is the more sexually experienced party compared with the male, Mm -hmm. but that was the case in this situation. Sarah had been hanging out in brothels and Ash was like, "Uh I've never done this before. So that was kind of refreshing to see, but they do like their first sexual encounter, not like first penetrative sexual encounter, uh, is angry sex he's pissed off he's only doing it well he's not only doing it he's attracted to her but she goes to him because he's been injured and he needs to feed he's like if we're doing it we're gonna do it all the way it's like do it all the way (laughs) i feel bad that his first sexual experience is like out of anger not first sexual but like first penetrative experience right is out of anger it's kind of sad it's not ideal yeah not ideal especially like she gave him that blowjob earlier in the story and he was like in awe and he was like oh now like he's so angry now he's really angry and I mean it was still super hot because yes for some for some reason being bitten and bleeding is attractive to me now Um, (laughs) that's what's happening He's just biting and eating on her and they're boning and it's super hot and aggr- it's aggressive and I'm there for it. <laughs> um, I, I get what you, I don't, I don't love that they're first. It's like hate sex basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after, so I'm going to go ahead and jump to the after because Sarah's taking a bath and while she's in the bath, she gets choked and she stabs a guy with a like a stool leg it's a chair leg yes how metal is that i was like oh girl yes it was so resourceful it reminded me of in throne of glass that rumor about rowan stabbing a guy with a table leg oh yeah that's right (laughs) like yeah and she won't let the um the chair leg go yeah yeah and he's like, you don't have to like, you have, like, you can hold on to the the piece of wood, but you got to let me wrap you in a towel or blanket or something. And she just held on to it, which I feel so bad because, you know, like she normally always has a weapon on her. And so now all she has is this piece Hair of leg, wood. piece of yeah. wood, a sharp piece of wood. And it was the same with Poppy. If you'll remember, she always had a knife on her, just like Sarah always had a knife on her. Mm-hmm. And in both situations, they end up using what they've got, which is a chair leg and then a butter knife. And it's the same with Poppy. She's got like a steak knife at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all they have. They use what they've got. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Okay. So like you mentioned, the end of this book is kind of a mess in that just a lot of things happen. So Cressa and Tarek and Midas, is that his name? I don't remember his name. They, Mattis. They, Mattis. That's it. Not Midas. Yeah. Close. <laughs> Mattis show up to attack. Uh, basically, they create a distraction so that they can find out if Sarah is special in some way. And if she is, transport her to Colas because that's who they work for. And things go awry. So Aos is attacked. Belle or Bila, whatever her name is, almost dies. And Sarah ascends her to primal level. And we find out that she is the primal of life. All right. And from this, Sir Holland and Penelope show up. And we have this prophecy which mm -hmm. is a lot to break down so i thought we could go kind of line by line <laughs> and try to understand what the heck this means Alrighty. okay and they break down a little bit of the prophecy when they're talking about it but it's still it's a lot so they say from the desperation of golden crowns and born of mortal flesh, a great primal power rises as the air to the lands and the seas, to the skies and all realms. So this has got to be talking about Sarah and her ancestors, right? Golden crowns, yes. born of mortal flesh, a great primal power. So that's got to be her ancestors making a deal with the primal. Yes. And she becomes the heir of land and sea, sky and realms. This next bit, a shadow in the ember, a light in the flame to become a fire in the flesh. Do you think those are going to be the names of the next books? Like, so we have a shadow in the ember. Oh, <gasps> maybe. I like that if that's what's going to happen. I'm down for that. That would be creative and clever and good. I hope it is. That'd be cool if I got that. I want to get, I want to get like one thing right. <laughs> I mean, the whole series is called the fire in the flesh, isn't it? A flesh. What is it called? Oh, kingdom of flesh and fire. That's what yeah. this series is called. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, maybe fire in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe that's it. This is still talking about Sarah though, isn't it? She's the shadow in the ember. Right. And she becomes the fire in the flesh, mm -hmm. which is the primal of life, I guess. Okay. So we, we may think that that's Sarah then. Mm. All right. Next line. When the stars fall from the night, the great mountains crumble into the seas and old bones raise their swords besides the, beside the gods. The false one will be stripped from glory until two born of the same misdeeds. Well, this is a long one. Okay. Until two born of the same misdeeds, born of the same great and primal power in the mortal realm. So that's a long sentence to break down. Yes. So the same misdeeds. Hmm. 
so the same like origin they're born of the same because we don't know a whole lot about poppy's origin we're not really we're still not really sure who her parents are right yeah so okay so the same misdeeds let's see so if we're talking about sarah and poppy being born like they're the two right yeah we're saying they're the two um so but what misdeed that's what i'm kind of trying to think so like i guess the misdeed against sarah would be that that the um ember of life or whatever was placed inside of her Mm -hmm. maybe and then poppy i don't know see we don't we don't know a whole lot about i mean even with there's still some i feel like there's still some mystery I feel like there has to be more with Sarah's parents than the information that we have right now. Yeah. We just don't know what it is yet. I feel like there has to be more because her father jumping off of the side of the castle, like there's some type of mystery or something going on there. Mm-hmm. Either that or so we know that Sarah is Satoria and oh gosh. You can't have two people reincarnated of the same thing, right? So Poppy can't also be a reincarnated Satoria. I will be so mad (laughs) to the end of this. And it turns out Poppy is just reincarnated. (laughs) I will like lose my mind. I don't know why. You can't have, I don't know. I don't know, but the ember was taken out and put in Sarah so that to avoid something with Colas. So I'm wondering if there was something with an ember put in Poppy too. Right. Or is it just something because related to the maiden? Is it just something related to that? Yeah. I don't know. I'm wondering if, so when the stars fall from the night and the great mountains crumble into the seeds and seas and old bones raise their swords beside the gods. I'm wondering if that, so you remember when they went through the mountains to get to Atlantia Mm -hmm. and some of the gods rest there. Oh yeah. So I'm wondering if the old bone, the old bones rising from those mountains, raising their swords are talking about the pe- the beings that are sleeping in the mountains. Those mm-hmm. mountains. War is coming. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot of ambiguity in this sentence. Um next sentence. A first daughter born full of fire faded for the once promised once promised king so do we think this is sarah because she's a first daughter blood full of fire once promised king is that gonna be nikos i think so so here's the thing is okay is she is it saying that she was once promised to the king right which then yes that would make sense yeah or is nikos like a king that was once promised right you know what I mean yeah. like he was promised to be king because I was thinking I guess it could go either way right maybe yeah I don't know because I don't 
she hasn't revealed to us if there was any like prophecy about Nikos becoming like king of gods. So was he ever really promised to be the king or it was just assumed because he was going to be, um, you know, the son uh, or because he was the son of God of or the primal of life, but also yeah, that he would have been next. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That, see, that would be my thinking mm-hmm. because of who his dad was. He would have been promised to be the primal of life when his father decided not to be or died, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that role was taken from him. He still became the primal of death, though. Right. But he is referred to as king of the gods in um, the From Blood Nash series. Yeah. So I think it makes sense for that to be either way. I think it makes sense for it to be. Um, yeah. And in the book, they kind of talk about how this, this particular sentence applies to Sarah and Nikos. Although when I read it first, my, that once promised King line made me think of Castile's brother, Malik or Malik. I can't remember what we decided the pronunciation on that was Malik. I don't know. We'll call it Malik. My first thought was that's Malik because he would have been king of Atlantia, except that he rescued Castile and was taken in his place. And now Ispeth has him. So my mind first went there and then I thought, well, okay, so is the first daughter, the revenant who seemed to be interested in him and he was interested in her. But then the internet says that revenants are third daughters and not firstborn. So that doesn't work. And now I'm confused. Yeah. I- I think it's Sarah and Nikos. Yes. And I think it's Poppy and Cass, but that also seems very obvious, right? So the second daughter with blood full of ash and, oh, we didn't talk about that next part. We Sorry. Did. Yeah. Go ahead and read it. Cause that's okay. where we're going. <laughs> and the second daughter with blood full of ash and ice, the other half of the future King. So, okay. So that reads like Poppy and Castile. Right. Especially because, so, well, Cass isn't a twin. Um, but if we're going with the other half thing, because um, it could have gone either way, right? Cass or mm-hmm. um, Malik or Malik. It's not in the half part, the other half again. Of the one promised one. No, no. What are your thoughts? So I think that Poppy is the second daughter. Right. Yes. And I think the other half of the king or the future king. I mean, that just reads like she is the other half of the future king, which is Castile, which suggests they're like heartmates or something, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think an other half would be a heartmate or something like that? Oh, see, I read this wrong then. I read this differently. So I'm thinking that Cass or this future king is like the other half of the first king. See? Oh, okay. This is the problem with prophecies. Yeah. I love that in the book, someone, it's either Penelope or Holland is like, we hate prophecies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So when you say it that way, yes, it definitely, it screams Poppy and Cass then. Easy. Okay. So saying that the second daughter is the other half of the future king, which would be Cass. I get it. All right. Yeah. 
So together they will remake the realms as they usher in the end. That sounds like the, real bad. It sounds pretty <laughs> ominous. Are we going for apocalypse here? Seems like the end of the world may be coming. Well, okay. And also the together part. Now, are they physically together or did Sarah? Okay. So it says that Sarah is sleeping fitfully, mm -hmm. right? So she might wake up soon. Yeah. I think that it means together as in Nikos and Sarah and Poppy and Cass are going to like merge teams. And it makes sense. They will remake the realms. What They can remake the realm of the gut, like uh, Sarah and um, Nikos can kind of remake their whole god realm and Poppy and Cass can take care of the mortal realm but at the same time then but they usher in the end I mean that could be they usher in the end of not the end of the world it could just be usher in the end of like the, the end of the, an age like in the yeah. Lord of the Rings right the age of men mm -hmm. is coming to an end maybe Right. Well, no, but she says she sees people ruling among men. So maybe that's not it. I don't know. All right. So that's part of the prophecy. The other part of the prophecy is this. It says, and so it will begin with the last chosen blood spilled. I don't know who that is. The great conspirator birthed from the flesh and fire of the primals will awaken as the harbinger and the bringer of death and destruction to the lands gifted by the see it's getting real ominous <laughs> it's getting way worse by the gods well now they say they explain this part in the book though as that being um uh Collis and Collis and um Nikos's dad Nikos god I can't stop that um, cause that they were from the West. Now that's how they explain that part in the book. Yeah, so this might not be Poppy and Cass or anything like that, but who is the last chosen? But this comes after Like this is part two of that original prophecy, which suggests that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So the bad things with Colas are going to have to come back. Maybe, so I, this makes me think that this is the end. This is the end that they're talking about. The end will come from the West to the East and lay waste to all that lies in between. So this might be the God, either uh, Malik or Malik, whoever it is that's buried, right? Maybe it's referring to him. Maybe. Because the great conspirator birthed from the flesh and fire of the primals, which would be, in this case, Sarah and uh, Nikos, right? Mm-hmm. And then saying, we'll awaken, he's asleep, right? Or buried, kind of asleep, buried, whatever, right? Um, as the harbinger and bringer of death and destruction. And then the lands gifted by the gods could be Atlantia, right? Because that is what it was. That's, mm -hmm. um, and then beware for the end will come from the West to destroy the East. And now in the book is Atlantia to the East, right? And from Blood and Ash, is Atlantia East? I don't and know. Need a map. We need, I'm pretty sure there is a map. Well, we need more than one map because the map in this book is different from the map in the From Blood and Ash books because the map, like the places are different. different. They're not the same. Right. Let's talk about our quotes. So this is one, I picked this 
I picked a couple. I like this one because it is what Sarah says to Tavius right before she kills him. And it is glorious. So she's tied to the statue when he's about to whip her. And she says, I will slice the hands from your body and then carve your heart from your chest before setting it on fire. I will watch you burn. And I just love that because she was so ferocious in that moment. She was about to be whipped and was absolutely fearless. It was glorious. I also like this comment that Nikos makes. He says, it is far easier to be lied to than it is to acknowledge that you have been lied to. I think we, uh, I just think that's kind of applicable to real life. You know, it's, it's hard to acknowledge the truth. Sometimes people, sometimes people like to kind of go on, even knowing that they're being lied to or deception is occurring, then acknowledge that they're being lied to and have to change something. So I liked those. I thought they were interesting. What about you? So I picked one about animals that she thinks um so sarah is thinking this she says, animals don't didn't judge they didn't care about worthiness they didn't choose to use or hunt another they simply lived and expected to be left alone or loved that was all and i feel like that's kind of like that last part they simply lived and expected to be left alone or loved mm-hmm. right like i kind of feel like that's sarah a little bit yeah final thoughts on this book I enjoyed this book a lot. Um, You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the whole reincarnation thing, but I still really like the book. I'm still going to read the next one. I'm still going to be into the series. I can get, I'll get past it. (laughs) 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 Anyway. Um, (laughs) I, I simultaneously like and hate that questions were answered and more were raised. Sometimes I feel like he's like, yes, I got all these answers, but oh my gosh, now there's so many more questions. I hate that. But it makes me look forward to the next book and like linking them up to um, the From Blood and Ash ones. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I feel like I need to go back and reread all of the other books now. So that may be what happens instead of actually getting to my tbr (laughs) oh well it's hardly a burden (laughs) okay well that wraps up a shadow in the ember by jennifer l armantrout join us next week we will be discussing the book neon gods this book was requested so someone emailed in to request this from us so that's that's something that you can do if you like our show and want us to cover a specific episode or a specific book, you can email requests. We had someone else um, suggest something on, on Instagram too. So if there's something specific you want to hear, send us a request and we may or may not cover it. Um, But so next week we're covering Neon Gods by Katie Robert. Um, This is a Hades Persephone retelling and we just adore those. So that'll be next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. 
You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.